Hey, welcome to the Orchard. We are glad you are here on Time Change Sunday. We had so many people in the first service because they showed up thinking they were showing up for this service. It was full. It was amazing. <laughs> we support Operation Christmas Child. You've heard me preach on this before. It's something near and dear to my heart. And you heard uh, that video, but we have a goal of 700 this year as a church. And it's not just because we want to send boxes of toys to kids. It's because the gospel goes forth. And we did all the statistics and how many people have been saved through Operation Christmas Child. So we as a church are going to engage and go all in on this. Agreed? Well, I heard about a pastor um, at a real church, not like this, and he had a very impassioned sermon about death and final judgment. And he said forcefully at one point in his sermon, he said, each member of this church is going to die and face judgment. And everybody kind of sat back. One man in the front row started smiling. The preacher was kind of taken aback by that, and he, he thought he would let the guy know again, so he repeated a little bit louder. Each member of this church is going to die and face judgment. And if you're just walking in, welcome to the orchard. Yeah, glad to have you. As the preacher declared that a second time, the man in front row just grinned. It was just great. He, nod, he nodded. He got, and then the, the preacher, he couldn't take it. He, this time, the, the veins, the Bible, the pounding. Each member of this church will die and face final judgment. Everybody in the church was, whoa. I mean, they were struck. But the man in the front just grinned and just again like, oh, yes. Yes. And so finally, the preacher looked down and goes, each member of this church will die and face final judgment. And the man in front said, yes. Yes. And just nodded. Preacher didn't know what to do. So he finished up his sermon. He went and he found the man. He says, excuse me, sir. Excuse me. When I said each member of this church is going to die and face final judgment, you just kept smiling bigger and bigger. Why is that? And the man goes, oh, pastor, I'm not a member of this church. <laughs> you know, you never know what kind of sermon you're going to get. If the, is it going to be the, the final judgment, the love, or, or, or somewhere in between? And you remember, if it's your first time at a church, you're always like, oh, my gosh. I have no idea what to expect. And if you bring a guest, you're like, what's he going to preach about? Come on, come on. You know, all that stuff. Well, today we have been in the book of John for almost a year. Remember, the orchard, our value is this. Our vision and value is that we put Jesus Christ above all. We keep the main thing, the main thing, and that's Jesus. Above all politics, pandemics, and everything, we are putting him up. And so we have been looking at Jesus' life this past year, and we're now in John 15, And if you'll remember with me, this is Jesus. It's his final moments with his disciples. He's he's walking to the Garden of Gethsemane, perhaps already in the garden with them. And this is his final conversations before he starts to pray. Remember, he's praying so intently that he sweats blood. This right before that, and then he's going to be arrested. So these are his final words. He just got done talking about the, the, the vine and the branches. He just finished up that. And now he changes it from a vineyard metaphor to something else. And he says this in John 15, verse 9. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. The word Jesus uses here for love is the word agape. Now, if you've been with us for a bit, or maybe you've been around church, you've heard of this word agape in the past, but I want to clarify it for just one more time. What is agape love? And it's important because it's a Greek word for love, but in English... How many words for love do we have? One, right? Love, which is, 
it's, it's so diluted. It has no nuance because I love my wife, Amy. And I love tacos. You see what I'm saying? Like, I, I love God. And I love the Denver Broncos. And God loves the Denver Broncos. You see, the English word love is weak in its ability to communicate the richness and depth of God's love. The Greek, they have six words for love. Six. Each talking about a different nuance or specific. Agape is the word that Jesus uses here to tell us that he loves us. Of the six words for love, the Greeks had, agape is the grandest of them all. Agape is the big, wonderful love that covers a multitude of sins. A vast, epic love that most importantly, it's a love without condition. It's unconditional. And that's important to remember. Agape doesn't love someone because of if-onlys or only ifs. If only they would do that. If only you would stop that, then I'll love you. Agape does not have if-onlys, no qualifiers. Agape loves, period. Unconditional on our behavior. The shame that the accuser, that's God's enemy, he tries to get you to live in shame by his lies. And oftentimes we show up into a place like this, and the voice we hear most is that voice of shame. How could you do that? If these people only knew. Whatever the voice says to you, that's not from God. That's not agape love. I start with this fundamental truth of God because we forget. And we nod and go, yeah, yeah, I get it. He loves me unconditionally. But we don't live that way based on the shame or the guilt that we carry with us. I start with this fundamental truth because we need to keep it in mind for what Jesus is about to say next because it's important. Jesus continues, when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. Now, doesn't that sound like the opposite of unconditional love? When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Doesn't that sound conditional? And the word he uses here, you remain in my love, is agape. When you obey my commandments, you remain, you remain in my unconditional love. Like, how does that work? Now, when we, we're going to look at this because when, when, when you see something like this, when, when you read something that you think contradicts something else in the Bible, that's your clue to begin to dig deeper, to investigate what it means. You are loved unconditionally. And when you obey, you remain in it. Which would mean, if you disobey, you don't remain in it. You know, we're going through John, taking these verses as they come. And so I didn't want to skip over this. What is he saying here? I studied and prayed through this, and, and I believed God's Spirit led me to a parable of Jesus to describe this, to describe what's happening here. It's the parable of the prodigal son. The, the prodigal son parable is perhaps one of the most well-known teachings of Jesus. It's, it's a parable I could preach on for months and months, and I'm going to sum it up in just a few short minutes. The prodigal son. It goes like this. There is a loving father who represents God. This father is wealthy. He, he has land. He has a homestead. He has property, a homestead of love. It has a boundary, his property. It has a fence line, most likely. And this father loves his sons. He has two sons, and we're going to look at the second son, the younger one in particular, He's the one that rebels in his particular set of ways. And so what this younger son does is he comes to his father and says, I want my inheritance now while you're still alive. 
And then he takes that inheritance and he goes out and he lives in a way. He, listen, he crosses the boundary of the father's homestead. He crosses the boundary and he goes and lives in such a way that puts Las Vegas to shame. Like, if you want to wonder, like, did he do that? Yeah, he did that. Whatever that is, he did it. He did all the things, checked all the boxes. Now, when this son left his father's home, does the father stop loving his son? This is important. Does the father stop loving the son? But did the son leave the homestead of love where the father was present, where the blessing and covering of the father are present? Did the son leave where he can sleep in peace at night in security, where he can enjoy the rich meals and the benefits of the the father's house, where the, the joy can walk with joy and security? Did he leave that? The boy did not remain there, but the father's love remained for his son. Because when the son comes back, it says in the Bible, the son comes to his senses. And he starts to return. And we see the father waiting in the homestead of love, not with the frown. Oh, here he comes. He's back. That's how we believe God looks at us. Oh, you want to come back, do you? You got some penance to pay. The father wasn't waiting like that. The father was waiting for his son, whom he loved. And when he saw him on the road up ahead, it says he picked up his robes and ran toward his boy, threw his arms around him, and restored him to his place. See, when we choose to leave the boundaries that God has marked for us, we leave behind a lot of what God has left for us. We leave that. But his love does not depart from us. So if you're here today, and you can admit that by your actions and by your behavior, you may have left the boundaries that God has asked you to live within, I need you to know some things. This might be the only thing you need in this sermon. Number one, that in Jesus, God still loves you. It's unconditional love, not based on your behavior. I want you to know this, that God calls you back home. He calls you back to himself. He sees you and he welcomes you with a smile and with affection, okay? When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. People have used this verse in the past to make it a club, to pummel people into obedience. You better obey or God's love is is done. He doesn't love you anymore. But this verse, if that was true, that would be bad news. But we know for a fact that what Jesus just told us is really good news. How do we know? Because the very next verse, Jesus says it. It says this, verse 11. I have told you these things so that you may be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Knowing the dance between love and obedience and the type of love, agape, that God has for us, it should bring joy within us. Knowing that out of my love for Jesus, I can obey, that we're called to obey his commandments, that there's a home of love for us, it should make our joy overflow. That we have a God who loves us with agape and always provides a clear path home. Knowing you have a homestead of love to belong to, there should be joy. Living a life where you are increasingly connected to Jesus and loving God and and loving him more and more. And as you love God more and more, you want to obey him, there should be joy in that, not religious duty. Obedience to Jesus' commandments, when in this context of love, 
is joy. That's what Jesus says. So the next verse, Jesus says something that, that, that holds a lot of weight. And I want to catch this in verse 12. He says, this is my commandment. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I loved you. And then a few verses later in 17, he says it again. This is my command. Love each other. Twice, only breaths apart as they're walking into the garden. Twice he says, this is my command. Love each other as I have loved you. This isn't a polite suggestion. He didn't say, hey, here's another tip for successful living. Hey, here's another, this this is a a good proposal. I just want to kind of put before you, gentlemen. No, he says, this is my commandment. A commandment of Jesus, the, the the divine Messiah, the Savior, God in flesh. And he says that this, the commandment is this, love each other the same way I have loved you. We're commanded commanded by Jesus to love the same way that he loved us. Now, what's the question? How does he love us? How does he love us? He loved us sacrificially. He loves us passionately. He loved us authentically. He loved us courageously. He loved his family even when they turned on him. He loved his friends even when they betrayed him. He he loved his followers even when they deserted him. He loved his enemies even when they tortured him. He was nailed to a cross and he loved those who put the nails in his hands. Jesus' love is so beautiful and so pure and so bold and so consuming and he gives this, this, this command, love like that. Love like that. He commands us twice in this one discussion he's having with his disciples as his time with them winds down. This commandment of Jesus, although spoken with authority, it, it, the ink is still wet on this commandment. Like if it's bread, there's still steam coming out of it. It's a fresh commandment. Because only an hour previously, one hour before this in the upper room where they're having the last supper, he says this, and this is gonna blow, well, it blew my mind. John 13, 34. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Hold on, stop there. Now I'm giving you a new commandment. We should begin to have bells and whistles going off. Jesus is giving us a new commandment to live by. Love each other just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Listen, this is something that rabbis didn't do. Here's a new commandment. This is something that preachers don't do. Well, they they shouldn't do. True commandments have an origin in heaven and are delivered to earth. I mean, look at the original Ten Commandments, right? Moses didn't make the commandments. Listen, God gave Moses the commandments and he brought them to the people of Israel, right? Here, Jesus gives the commandments to the disciples, and they bring them to all the people of the earth, including you. This is a new commandment from heaven. It's the same pattern we see with Moses, we see here with Jesus. And you and I are to step into this. We are a part of this new commandment. This, this, is, this is for you, this is for me, this is for the orchard, this is for the church global. Jesus says, a new commandment I give you, love each other as I have loved you. Anyone who claims to follow Jesus, anyone, you have been given this commandment from God himself to live out. But what's amazing is here in John 13, Jesus says that when we follow this new commandment, 
there should be something seen. There should be proof. There should be evidence. It will, if you live by this commandment, something will happen. Look at this. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another, another will prove to the world that you follow me. Your love for one another will be the proof that you're a disciple. The way we as Jesus followers choose to love one another, it should clarify to other people, that person follows God. That person follows Jesus. Our love for one another should be the evidence that we follow Jesus. Unfortunately, in today's culture, that's not always the case, is it? We, ha- we have to just be honest. What, in fact, if we were to ask people in your community, just do a survey, what's the proof that someone follows Jesus? What's the proof that someone's a Christian? What would they say? You see, I, based on my job and my personality and who I hang out with, hang out with I, I meet a lot of people and I get a lot of information on this. I hear a lot of how they, Christians are perceived and, and, and unfortunately, and this is just a generalization, this isn't always true, for someone who doesn't believe the way we do or attend where, how we attend, they would say the proof that someone is a Christian is how judgmental they are toward a certain group, certain people, certain sin. That, that, that's what sets Christians apart. The second thing they might say, that I've heard this lately, is that the proof of, that someone is a Christian is what political party they're a part of. And the third one I would say this, the proof that someone's a Christian is they're hypocritical. Because while, they, while they're judging me, I can see that they're not, they're not perfect. Now, I don't enjoy that. That's what it's distilled down to. But in our world, in our culture, that's often been that what they would say is the proof that someone's a Christian. Orchard, we can do better than this. We can do better, and we need to. We can step into this divine commandment of Jesus and prove to the world that we're followers of Jesus and that he is true, that there is a loving God. We can remain on the homestead of love, of God's love, and love each other that reveals his nature. Jesus said that would be the proof that we are followers. Does your life and faith and love provide evidence that you're a disciple? When people around you go, I know that they follow Jesus. Our love for people should be proof. And, and you know, it, love people is on our, our t-shirts, but it's not just on our t-shirts. It's part of the DNA of our church. But it's also part of the DNA of heaven. Love God, love people is the DNA of heaven. If we can live out these two things, it proves in our life that we are followers of Jesus. Somehow a church that starts um, banking on love people gets this reputation that's not biblically based. And I've, I've had people come and ask me that. Or that we're soft on sin because we love people. But you've heard my messages. You know we take this word very seriously. And we love Jesus. We elevate him above all things. But we are called to love God and love people. That's our calling. That's our vision. But I want to clarify something very important. Because this vision, this t-shirt, this DNA of who we are, it can seem kind of, oh, that's nice. Love, in this terms of love people, is not docile. Amen. Love, 
of this type. Listen, this isn't sweet. It's not, oh, that's nice. They love people. The love we are called to is fierce in its forgiveness. The love we're called to is bold in setting healthy boundaries. The love we're called to is, create, is create, courageous in living out its Christian convictions in the current culture. That's huge. The love we are called to is courageously living its Christian convictions in the current culture. The love is powerful in its ability to refuse to be polarized by outside sources. The love we have is strong in serving others with no strings attached. The love we're called to is wholeheartedly in pursuit of holiness. The love we're called to is mighty in meeting the needs of people where they are, in their pain, in their poverty, in their brokenness. This love that we have is audacious in its ability to give hope in the darkest valleys and darkest seasons. This love prevails in proclaiming Jesus above any, any issue in this earth. Jesus above all. That's the love we have. This love is not indifferent to sin, but it calls for accountability. It works for holiness. It knows there is grace. Love God, love people that uh, our Jesus calls us to, that vision, that calling, it's not good, it's grand. We're called to a vision that's not nice. No, no, no. It's kingdom, it's huge. It's not sweet, it's sacrificial. It's not docile, it's daring. Like we're to go out there and be bold in how we love people. Loving people costs us. It's difficult. If you say loving people is easy, you don't know enough people. (laughs) <laughs> I would like to introduce you to some people, okay? <laughs> oh, man. This vision is not easy. It takes courage. It takes conviction to live, love God, love people out in this culture. Don't get me wrong. Um, this commandment of Jesus, it will cost you everything. But the gain is far greater. The result is far grander. And the reward someday of falling into my, fa- in my heavenly father's arms and hearing, well done, good and faithful son. Or for you, well done, my good and faithful daughter. Oh, welcome home. It is a grand calling, a heavenly calling. Jesus finishes with, this is my commandment, love one another. The Greek word here is agape. We're to agape one another. Which flows into his next theme. We've been discussing agape here, and he shifts the conversation to another Greek word for love. In the next sentence, if you're my friends, or no, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because servants do not know the master's business. Now you are my friends. He uses this word for love that's phileo. He switches from agape, unconditional love, to phileo. This is the love between friends. This is friendship love, best friends, how you love your friends. Jesus is in this amazing twist, says, you are my friends. We've talked previously about other ancient uh, cultures and how they viewed the gods and they didn't want to be, you know, they were fearful of them. They didn't want to have any interaction with them. And God comes along and he says, I love you. And then Jesus comes along and says, I phileo you. Agape and friendship right there all in one. It's, it's amazing how God works these things out. Earlier in this week, before I had really sunk my teeth into any of this, I, we were doing prayer and worship on Wednesdays right here, and I, I we're singing, you know, Waymaker, some worship song. 
And I'm walking up here, I'm just singing, and I stop by and I grab my Bible, and I usually just, I'm gonna gonna get a psalm or something that I know, and I'm gonna read that and just kind of soak in that as I'm worshiping. And I get this, just this strange prompt, and you're gonna, you're gonna think I'm crazy, that's, that's okay. I got this strange prompt, God saying, I'm, I'm, gonna show, I'm gonna show you something today. Okay. Have you ever, when you, have you ever done that thing where you go, God, give me something today? They sacrificed 600 bulls and brought the foreskins of the Amalekites. Like, what? That's my, that's my word for the day, you know? I mean, like, I learned long ago, not like, like oh, come on, Russia. I, I, and if you're going to do it, go New Testament. Oh, go New Testament. You don't know what you're going to get back on this left side, you know? And so, but I felt like this, this and I'm like, oh, well, I'm, I'm walking off here, and it, it takes me from here over to the corner to finally go, okay. And I look down, and I gasp audibly. And the worship stops for me because now I'm dealing with what I'm, what's just happened. And here's what you don't know. Um, for the past month, you know, my, my son, we read the, the Bible together. And right now we're in 1 Kings, which is about Elijah. His name's Elijah. So there's all these connections. And we're sitting there, we're reading through Elijah. And we get to 1 Kings 17.5, which says, um, in his translation at home, it says, Elijah did what the Lord told him. And we circled that and we dated it. And I said, buddy, that's your verse that you would always do what the Lord told you, is telling you. And now in this Bible, it says, um, he did what the Lord told him. I have, every single night for a month, I've been talking to my son Elijah about it. He's memorized it. We're talking about what it means in his life. I am a good father pouring this into my son for the, in the future when he'll need it. And I get up here, and I, I flip through this, and I, and I go right to that 1 Kings 17, 5. I'm just telling you, this isn't normal for me. And I go, and I just feel God saying, I'm a good father, pouring this into my son. And the very next question is, okay, what do you want me to do? Because it said he did what the Lord told him. Okay, what is it, Africa? What is it? Like, it's gonna, if, if you're going to design something like, like my mind's blown, they're all worshiping and praying, and I'm like reeling. Like, what? Like that, like coincidence, whatever. I feel God in that moment. I feel his presence. I'm like, what do you want me to do? Is it some big new initiative for the church? Like, we turn the chairs the other way? Like, what is it? I'll do it. I will do it. You've brought me to this moment for a reason. And I, this is all I heard in that moment. Meet with me. Not as my servant, but as my son. Again, before I'd gotten into this. And what that means, what he's reminding me, what I need to say yes to, is I come to him to get something. Or I'm a professional preacher. I go to him, I study, I read a lot, but it's as a servant. And he says, my son, I just want you to come meet with me. And it might be that today, the one thing he would ask of you is, my daughter, come meet with me. My son, meet with me. Not just in this place, at home. I, t- I tell you that because that right there that happened to me, then we get into this sermon where Jesus says, you're no longer servants because you know the Father's business. You know the Master's business and plans and desires. And how do we know it? Listen, we've been in John for a reason because Jesus, through his words and through his actions, he revealed perfectly the Father's business. If you look at the life of Jesus, it's the revelation of the Father's plan and business. So what is the Father's business? We see it's love God, love people. That was the business that Jesus was about while he was on earth. 
Orchard, we, we, we know, we know the business of heaven. We know the desires of the Father. We've been studying it for almost a year as we looked at Jesus and how he spoke, how he acted, how he loved. So for the, the past year, we've been seeing a revelation of the business of heaven. So I thought back through this entire series we've been on, 14 chapters before this. And what do we see Jesus doing? First of all, he says from his own mouth, the most important things are, love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others as yourself. That's the business of heaven, is loving God and loving people. But it's also to courageously go, to courageously give compassion to those who are broken and needy that you see in your life. That's the business of heaven where you see broken and needy people to be compassionate and generous. We see Jesus as he, he, he gave life to the divorced and widowed and the singled and the needy of that way. And we need to be the same about the business of God to mentor and teach and disciple. We need to give generously to redemptive endeavors and needy people. It, we saw Jesus bring hope to the hurting and now that's the business of heaven we're called to be a part of. Do you have hope to give this world? You should. It's to pray for healing for those who are suffering. It's to tangibly go forth and serve those around you with no strings attached. It's to bring our offerings to Jesus and we see him take our fish and loaves and do something we can never do on our own. It's to cut through the, relig the religious red tape and make clear paths for people who are far from God to get to Jesus and help them by pointing the way. It's to speak life. It's to speak truth. It's to act in love. It's to fulfill this new commandment to love each other as he has loved us. We know the business of the Father. It, Jesus revealed it to us. And Jesus says, when we are on board with this, when we are doing this new commandment, it proves to the world that we're his follower. You're a beloved daughter or a beloved son of God. Because of this, because of Jesus' work, you live and operate with agape, unconditional love. So you can brush off the shame. You can, you can know that your past is, is forgiven, truly. You can know that it's only the accuser who tries to condemn you of that. You have agape from Father God. And you can know that Jesus, the Messiah, calls you friend. And he wants to spend time with you. He wants to meet with you. You aren't some second-rate Christian who should go pay penance for your sin. All penance was paid on the cross. There is no penance left for you to pay. Not one iota. You're a beloved daughter, beloved son. You're not defined by your sin. You're defined by the Savior. You're not condemned by your past. You're called to a new future. You are loved unconditionally and a friend. Orchard, it's time for us to grow past our indifference with this. It's time for us to grow past what we do in, inside these walls and to take it outside because we need to have proof for that community around us to know that there's a God who loves them and we get to be that proof. They don't see in here. They see you out there. It's time for many of us to mature. Paul says later, he says, listen, you should be teaching by now. You should be out there teaching others, but you're still on spiritual milk orchard. It's time to take this, wherever you may be, to take it out of these walls forth because he has given us a new commandment. And that is not a small thing. And that by living that commandment, the world will know. Listen, you are called, you are equipped, and you are commissioned to take the message of Jesus to your home, to your work, to your neighborhood, to wherever you play, to wherever you find yourself, and point to the Savior. 
and be the proof that you're following him. Because here's the deal. We've been given a new command. A new command I give you, love each other as I have loved you. John 13, 34. This is my command. Love one another the same way I have loved you. John 15, 12. My command is this. Love one another. John 15, 17. And if you do that, it will be proof to the world that you are following me. Orchard, let's be that proof. By our lives and our love, when we be the proof that we're following Jesus and that he is worthy and that he is loving and that the people around us, they would want that too. Simply by the way that we live and we love. As we go into communion today, the first thing we always do when we have communion is we hold the elements. We, we thank Jesus. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you so much. And just a reminder that if you're in this building, maybe you're a guest of ours and you're wondering if you can take communion, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you are free and welcome to. He said, do this in remembrance of me. The first thing we do is thank him. Then if there's any business you need to do, ask his forgiveness. God, forgive me for for this or for that. Do business with Jesus. And then ask us in this question, this new commandment that I need to go love each other, love others as, as you have loved me to be the proof to this world. How do I do that? Who needs to see that? Where am I falling short? Let us apply this commandment to our lives. So Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you modeled for us the Father's business. And we as the orchard, both here in this building, nationwide and worldwide, we want to be about your business of loving God and loving people. And may the world, may our neighborhoods, may our communities, may our work, may our spouses, may we be the proof that there's a loving God. And our love is the proof that we are following Him. In Jesus' name.